Jesse, how's it going? I'm okay, Katie, but um, could I ask you a pretty personal question? Uh, you can ask. Do you think that I lack gravitas? Yes. Fuck! This is what I'm worried about. <laughs> uh, do you think screaming fuck sat me of my gravitas, whatever gravitas I had left? Yes. Um, so I have a book coming out, you may have heard, in, in April. <laughs> I've only mentioned it once or twice. It's called The Quick Fix. Please pre-order it or I will be flogged to death publicly. Um, I'm worried that I don't have enough gravitas to sell a lot of books. So I've come up with a plan to address that. Can I, can I run this by you? Yeah, please do. Okay. Imagine that I had graduated from Yale Law School. Okay, I'm imagining. It's hard to do, what? but I'm imagining. It's very hard to do. I'm not the sort of person who who does that. But don't you think that would give me more gravitas? Yeah, I guess so. It depends on what you mean by gravitas. Yeah, I think it'll help. And and so I can't technically say that I graduated there because I didn't. If that rumor were to percolate on the internet, I, I think it would help me. And I um I just think this is worth a shot. So can we do a quick role play about sort of testing my ability to act as though I graduated from Yale Law School? All right, sure. Okay, open the email I just sent you and then pretend I just met you at a party and introduce yourself. Oh, and then after after I say what I say, just read through the questions there, okay? Okay, wait, what are we doing again? I blacked out for a second. All right, you want me to open an email? Yep. And then pretend that I just met you at a party. We just met at a rooftop soiree. I'm wearing my formal cargo shorts. You're wearing uh, paint-splattered overalls. And... <laughs> Because you just came from painting a fence or wh- uh-huh. whatever you people do. Uh, yeah, let's So, okay, imagine you just met me. Okay, I gotta, I, all right, I hate acting, but I'll do it. I'll do this for you. Oh, hi, I see you're drinking one of those blue moons with milk in them. What's your name? I'm Jesse. I went to Yale Law School. Oh. <laughs> oh, what was your favorite course at Yale? Introduction to Law. Oh, I've heard of that one. And who was your favorite professor? Professor Joshua Lawberg. And I hear there are many stately buildings at Yale Law School's New Haven campus. Which was your favorite? Law Hall. I think I'd nail That was pretty good, right? This was horrible. I have a much better plan for how to get your book sold. Uh-oh. Just make it good. Okay. I'll give it a shot. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a traditional route to American success. That's not how our society usually functions, merit, as, as this podcast is evidence of. But, uh... Yeah. So anyway, what is the name of this little podcast? This is Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. And I want to apologize to everyone for that terrible intro. That was 100% Jesse's fault. Thank you. I'm Jesse Single. I did not go to Yale Law School. Please stop telling everyone that. And Jesse, what are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about a little brouhaha over Ben Shapiro, uh, guest writing the Politico Playbook newsletter. And we're going to talk about uh, Andy... I can never pronounce his last name. It's incredibly easy to pronounce. Just go? Is it just go? No. No. Andy, no. (laughs) Sorry, I I blacked out. Uh, Andy, no, um, wrote a book about Antifa, and uh, people weren't very happy about it. Indeed, which it turns out is uh, very good for Andy's career. Hint, hint. Um, All right, which one should we start with? Oh, actually, aren't we going to talk about about something else first? Yella. Your New York Mag piece? yeah, I did. So last week we talked about basically deplatforming right-wingers. So yeah, I did a little piece for Intelligencer on New York Magazine's website headlined why deplatforming might be useless or worse when it comes to preventing right-wing violence. Uh, yeah, we figured we'd talk about it for a minute just because it was sort of inspired by the conversation. But 
I, I just think people are much too confident that they know exactly what the results will be uh, for driving people out of sort of online polite society. And I think there's a lot of evidence, some of it from Shira Frankel, who's been doing a good job covering this stuff for the New York Times, that, um, you know, driving people underground might have consequences, uh, negative consequences. And I, I think one key divide people fail to realize is that, like, reducing the amount of public bigotry or radicalism online, that might not exactly be the same as reducing the probability of someone acting on those beliefs in public. So I, I just the piece is basically an attempt to point out that this stuff is a lot more complicated than people realize. And yeah, I mean, that's sort of all I can say, because I, I myself am not sure how I think about a lot of this radicalization stuff. I just think it's much more complicated than people realize. This should be the 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 unofficial tagline of the show is in your voice. It's complicated. Um yeah, one reason I wanted to briefly talk about this is because as we discussed in the show that we released uh, last week or earlier this week, depending on when you're listening to this, um, Parler, the uh, Twitter-like app. Parlay? Parlor. Parlay. Parlay. Parlor ha- has been blocked by Amazon Web Services. I assume that it's down now. Um, let me check real quick. Yeah. It, assuming that it's actually Parlor.com, that site is down um, let's try parlor.org. Nope, not that either. Oh, parlor.org. That domain is available for sale. Um, someone want, might want to. We should, want, we should go for yeah. it. Um, so parlor is down. They were cut off from, they, their access was cut off, uh, by Amazon web services, their host, which of course garnered Amazon web services, a, a, a massive amount of, of positive publicity, um, from many on the, on the American left and some, a, a smaller number on the American right. Um, but I heard, and I, and I wasn't aware of this when we recorded our show last week, but I think it's worth mentioning that, um, I listened to the founder of Parler on Megan Kelly's podcast and, because I had read the reporting on this, on this issue, I was under the impression that Parler does not moderate their comments and that the content was just full of like death threats and bomb threats and, and organizing things like the riot at the Capitol. Well, it turns out that that's not actually true. They do moderate their con- their the, their comments and they or their content, but they do they do it differently than like Twitter or Facebook. Though instead of having you know individual employees who are who are whose job is comment moderation or having an algorithm that does it, um, they have a jury, a paid jury of of people who who like vote who decide as a group whether or not some content needs to be needs to be banned um and it turns out that this is surprise surprise a a cumbersome inefficient way to deal with with comment moderating and so they do moderate comments they just don't actually do a very good job of it probably in part because of this cumbersome process that in some ways i see the benefit of it's not one person making unilateral decisions it's a group of people but that of course like Anytime you get more than one person involved in a decision, it becomes harder to, to like get anything done. Um, it turns out that they did actually like, they were actually working with Amazon on content moderation. Um, before all of this stuff happened and then after the after the the riot in DC that's when Amazon decided to just like unilaterally revoke their revoke their access um to their platform which of course took them offline and i i think that's worth mentioning because the interesting thing here to me is that a lot of people argue that well if if twitter if parlor is so bad at moderating this content then like they're too dangerous to be online well I've reported death threats. I reported racism on platforms like Twitter. 
and haven't heard back for literal months. Literal months. It could be the case that Parler is worse at it. And I'm looking at an article in The Verge where they Amazon in a court filing listed some of the comments that led them to their decision and they're really bad. Um, I mean, I'm with you completely that that Twitter also has a lot of bad stuff. I guess it just for the reasons you explain, like it, it strikes me as reasonable that maybe Parler is, is worse at moderating. Yeah, I think that I mean, when you look at the court filings, I think you also have to recognize that what you're seeing is Amazon defending it, defending itself. Because when I heard the yes. founder of Parler, he what on Megyn Kelly's podcast, what he said is that they have they have been in conversation with Amazon for months, and Amazon would come to them and they would say, "We have specific issues with this content," and then Parler would go and moderate that specific comment content that they had problems with. So they were. They were letting Amazon, uh, you know, pressure them into, into, into doing what Amazon wanted them to do. Um, and it was only after this, uh, this event that all of a sudden, like, it's too damning to, it's too damning to have online. And you can make the argument, well, that's because people organized the protest on Parler, but that also doesn't appear to be true. It seems as though the, the majority of the organizing for the riots in DC was done on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, a this big, horrible group that Shira Frankel also reported on that it was taken down in 48 hours, but in a sign of how difficult this stuff is to contain, 48 hours was all it needed to really rile up a bunch of people and organize, and it launched all these subgroups on Reddit and other platforms. People underestimate not just how complicated this stuff, but how difficult it is, and I think this is what you're alluding to. Like, it's pretty hard to come up with a consistent set of rules that would actually, that you could actually apply everywhere. So I think there's some risk of certain platforms becoming scapegoats. Um, you could search Twitter right now and find like really horrific shit, I'm sure. Yeah, totally. I mean, the thing, like, I think that this is a, after listening to that interview, and of course, like, the guy might be lying. He's the founder of this company. Um, it's definitely possible. But after listening to this interview, I, it, it does, I mean, it, not that this didn't seem clear to me before, but it does seem increasingly clear that this was political, this was just motivated on ideology. Because if, if threats are the issue, if organizing in the, is the issue, then Twitter and Facebook also need to go down. Um, Glenn Greenwald was on the same show, and, and he and the, the founder of Parler, whose name I, I, I don't remember, um, my apologies for that, um, also insinuated that this was because these companies see Parler as a threat to their, to their you know, to their business model. I don't totally buy that because Parler is so tiny compared to companies like Twitter and Facebook. Also, they kicked off the users flocked there after getting kicked off on other platforms. They don't want their business. Right, right, exactly. So I find that uh, I find that argument a little bit harder to believe. I think mostly I think what was happening was this just like internal pressure and PR um, and not that Amazon actually like gave, gave a shit about about what was being said on this platform. I'm sure some people within the company did, but the timing, um, the timing is suspicious. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. The same article I mentioned in The Verge, uh, Amazon is apparently open to uh, reestablishing Parler. I- I've never explored any of these websites. I sort of I sort of burned myself out on like far right hellscapes in like 2016. Is your sense that do people view Gab as sort of the worst big one and then Parler as second worst just in terms of like overall craziness and, and far rightness? Yeah, I, that's my sense. I listened to Reply All this week, and they said like Gab is the Nazi one, and Parler is like the less, the slightly less Nazi one. But I, I think that's the sense of it. Um, and again, I've never visited either one of these sites. That, that's a good. I mean, that's our podcast whole thing is slightly less Nazi. Right, right. It's it's Gab Parler blocked and reported. <laughs> Uh, okay. Anything else on, on this sort of uh, mini segment? No, I'm sure we'll be coming back to this more because deplatforming and, and, uh, and, uh, 
internet censorship is becoming the story of 2021 so far. I guess one actually final point I want to make is that people seem to assume that you can measure online radicalism like almost as though you could measure the amount of virus in a population. And I'm I'm just not convinced that like the amount of online public bigotry tracks directly with like the threat of violence. Because if that were true over the last 20 years, when there's been an exponential explosion in people's access to radicalism, you would have seen a huge spike worldwide in violence. And that hasn't been the case. I mean, if you know, maybe this argument is wrong somehow. Someone can talk me out of it, but it just seems pretty clear that whatever's going on is more complicated than like people did bad posts and that radicalized people. Oh, one reader wrote in to say that like the pandemic itself is a huge cause of violence. Probably people are just like they have no other outlet, right? And they don't have. I mean, in, uh, not just the pandemic, but the resulting economic crash and people not having anywhere to go. Yeah, um, and none of that's to say the internet doesn't play a role. I mean, obviously people organize this horrible event, but I'm just, I'm not really convinced there's a way to prevent people from communicating and congregating online. I'm not sure that's a good use of sort of limited uh, counter radicalism resources. Right. And then we have to also consider the cost of um, limiting people's access to these platforms. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm like most concerned about this because I'm most concerned about myself, um, you know, not that I'm organizing fucking alt-right meetups on any sort of platform but you know i do think that those of us who who can somehow find ourselves on the uh the wrong side of of popular sentiment um should be worried about about being deplatformed do you want to talk about the chase strangio thing a minute because i think this was actually a good example of that yeah sure so i mean you you were the first well, you. I think I ended up talking about this because it annoyed me too. But what what did you initially respond to with uh, Chase Strangio is a, a lawyer at the ACLU uh, and a trans man. So on June fourteenth, Chase Strangio did this long thread about trans women in sports, um, and I won't read the I won't read read the whole thing, but I'll read a couple of his tweets. He starts out, women and girls who are trans participate on women's teams, and as such, these teams remain women's teams. Sex separation does not end. Women and girls who are trans are biological women and girls. And to me, I mean, I think he's saying something that is... That is false on its face, because if women and girls who are trans are biological women and girls, then they wouldn't need to transition. That's sort of the entire point of transitioning. But also, I think that this is a, a very strange tactic for someone who is supposed to be an ally and an advocate for trans people, because most human beings in the world do not believe this, right? This is not, this is a, this is like, this might seem like a, a, a normal mainstream opinion if you spend a shit ton of time on trans Twitter. But if you are a regular person in the world, the idea that trans men and women or trans, trans women are biological females is just, is false on its face because we know that there's, that biological sex exists. We know this. Um, so, when Chase tweets something like this, to me, I find it to be a very strange tactic because I think it's actually hurting the cause that Chase, that Chase is supposedly a proponent for. Seeing activists, it's like activists trying to gaslight us into, into, into thinking that the world is flat. Um, and that just turns people off of your cause. It's also, it doesn't reflect the sort of concerns or priorities of the mainstream trans rights movement. I mean, obviously, Chase is like a major exemplar of that unfortunately, but like the average trans activist is not trying to get people to rethink their fundamental views about sex. They're trying to ensure 
trans people aren't um, discriminated against. Unfortunately, this sort of more woke radical viewpoint has taken hold. He is not the first person at the ACLU to have argued that, in effect, biological sex isn't real or is an illusion. Um, but but the, the thing I want to connect to our prior discussion is you could not full-throatedly disagree with Chase Strangio's obviously false statement without risking getting kicked off Twitter, right? Oh, absolutely. If I said this is false, trans women are f- are male, I would probably be banned from Twitter permanently. This has happened to many people before, including trans people. Yeah. So, look, I don't I don't go around saying this to be mean. You don't go around saying this to be mean, but there are no. clearly some contexts such as sports where it's like Chase brought this up and it is relevant to this very narrow specific but potentially important policy discussion. So, I think I think a lot of liberals just think it's completely made up bullshit when conservatives say these platforms are biased against them. But, you know, just as like a science writer, the fact that I, I cannot full-throatedly rebut a clearly false scientific statement without risking my Twitter account is ridiculous. And it tells you that there's something a little bit more going on here than just people trying to prevent violence or outright white supremacy or whatever. Right. And there is a real cost to being banned from these platforms. I wish it were like being banned from the Tetris website that I played too much. You know, like ultimately (laughs) it would probably be like good for all of us if we were all banned and the entire thing disappeared. But Twitter is not just how we like how I found content for this podcast. It's also the reason that the podcast and like a, a large part of the reason that the podcast has taken off. Um, Twitter is the place where, unfortunately, um, people are not the entire population of the United States, but the sort of thought leaders, publishers, editors, politicians, influencers. This is where they are. And if you are removed from that conversation, it does have an effect on your career. I think Megan Murphy is a really good example of that. We talked about her in the last show, but Megan's a Canadian feminist who was banned for saying men are not women. Um, and she has kind of, she has a, she has a, a YouTube channel and a podcast, but she has sort of, her platform was definitely on the rise. Um, and you just kind of don't hear about Megan Murphy that much anymore. I like the idea of you getting uh, kicked off Twitter and then taking your evil turf rhetoric to this Tetris website. <laughs> Just me screaming at it and shifting blocks around. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, should we move on to uh, your choice? Andy, no, or Ben Shapiro? Uh, hmm. Let's start with Let's start with Andy. Okay. Give well, give the uh, basic spiel about Andy for our listeners who aren't familiar about him, and then I'll I'll do the same for Shapiro. Sure. So Andy is a journalist, a conservative uh, journalist. He was living in Portland. He apparently has left the country. I don't know if this is this. I don't know where he went, but Douglas Murray wrote a column about what I'm about to tell you about. Um, and he mentioned that Andy has left the country. Um, but Andy is from Portland. He's the son of Vietnamese immigrants. He's gay. Um, he's a sort of he's like a small, soft spoken Asian man, um, which is sort of at odds with his reputation in the world. Um, OK, so Andy. Andy started to gain a public platform in 2017 while he was a graduate student at the university, or I'm sorry, at Portland State University. Um, he was a, uh, a reporter for the student newspaper, The Vanguard, and he went to an interfaith panel with a bunch of students and a Mus- and he tweeted from his personal Twitter account, he tweeted a clip of a Muslim student speaker saying, in this clip, it looked like he was saying that like in, an ap- in, a, in a Muslim, in an Islamic state, apostates would be killed or banished from the state. So he published a, like another clip 
below that to add more context. Um, Wait, so so I just want to make sure I understand exactly because I, I only vaguely remember this. He he tweeted that the Muslim student had called for the killing of apostates. No, or no, no, no. He said that he he was not that the Muslim student was calling for this, but that the Muslim student was saying was saying that this is something that happens in Islamic states. So this was not he wasn't saying that the student like endorsed this thing. He was saying that. This these, the student is saying that this is something that happens okay, gotcha. within yep. countries where Islam is the state religion. Um, so now, so like after everything that's happened in the last four years, this seems like a fairly like I don't know milk toast thing to tweet, especially from Andy. I um, mean, and he followed up the the initial tweet with sort of a longer a longer clip that added a little bit more more context. Anyway, he was fired for that, um, and then he wrote a piece for the National Review called "Fired for Reporting the Truth." Um, the Vanguard. He he basically said that he was fired because he this was he did something politically incorrect. Um, the Vanguard said that he was fired for like using his platform to tweet something out of context or har- harass the student or or whatever. Um, we can post links to to his piece and the Vanguard's response so people can sort of watch the clips and judge for judge for yourselves um, whether or not he should have been fired for this. Anyway, so that was the beginning of Andy's. Um, rise on a national platform and since then he has he he worked for colette as an editor for a little while he's written for the new york post um he now is a, maybe an editor or a staffer at the post millennial which is a canadian a sort of reactionary canadian website that um uh that like does like focuses on, t- on antifa and and sort of political correctness and uh and liberal overreach things like that um, so Andy has uh, – he's been the target of Antifa in Portland, as I think everybody knows, for a while. And he certainly – how do I say this? He doesn't like – I wouldn't say he eggs them on, but what he does is he, he'll like – anytime someone is arrested, he posts mugshots. Like anytime someone's arrested at a at – a, um, at a protest, he posts mugshots. I think this is a really fucking stupid thing to do in part because – we have due process in this country and being arrested for something does not mean you're guilty of it. And I just, I like, I think this is a really bad tactic. I've told him this personally. I'm like, I'm against this. Don't post people's mugshots. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's clearly an activist reporter, which doesn't necessarily mean that he's like making stuff up and, but, but he's an activist reporter. He's an anti, anti Right. And, reporter. and, but I think it's also worth mentioning here that he, like the Portland Mercury, which is a paper that is owned by the stranger is, they're also activist reporters. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so there's been so Andy has done some things that I think are are like bad. Like I don't like that he that he posts these mug shots. I don't like this. He he wrote, he wrote a piece for the Washington or the Wall Street Journal a few years ago where he went to London and he got a that one was he got amazing. a ton of shit wrong. He said that he basically wrote this piece like hyperventilating about like the takeover of these of these London neighborhoods by by Muslims and. He saw signs that said things like, you know, no alcohol or whatever, which are apparently just like uh, like a post against public intoxication and <laughs> he thought it and was Sharia. Sharia. Um, so he, he like was like looking for examples to confirm this this, you know, this hypothesis that he had and he found them everywhere and they were just wrong. Um, so he did a, he did like a very bad job at that piece. It was an opinion piece. It shouldn't have been published. The 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 post or the, I'm sorry, the Wall Street Journal's editors should have like saved him from himself in that case. But still, like deeply bad, deeply flawed work. Um, he's definitely not like not a perfect reporter. He's 
untrained as far as I know. He didn't take journalism classes. Okay, so he has also done, I think, some good reporting. Like, for instance, um, in Portland last year, not last year, maybe two years ago, in Portland and Seattle both, there were a rash of what people were calling hate crimes against queer, trans, gay people in, in these cities, right? And all of these rumors were circulating online. None of the like alleged victims of these crimes would go to the cops or talk to the media. So there was just like rumor mongering going like and I saw this because I, I live in Seattle. And I used to live in Portland. I have friends there still on social media and people were really freaking out. So there would be some like rumor about someone getting beaten, some like a trans woman getting beaten on the street of Portland. Someone would say, oh, yeah, we saw a maroon truck. It's the it's like the Proud Boys truck that we, we know it is. Um, and this would just circulate. But nobody would ever call the cops. Nobody would file any police reports. Nobody would talk to the media. And these rumors would just circle and circle and circle. And the Mercury. And there would often be GoFundMe campaigns. And, right? and then there would be a GoFundMe campaign. Yeah. And the, and the Mercury, the Portland Mercury, reported on these rumors credibly, um, even though like there was no evidence that any of these crimes actually took place. Andy, like one of these crimes specifically, Andy reported on the New York Post, and it was a trans woman who said that she was assaulted. The rumor about this incident was that she had been beaten unconscious with a bat in like the streets of Southeast Portland. Um, and so this like went viral, you know, her GoFundMe raised like almost $10,000. People were, of course, like rightfully people in Portland were rightfully concerned about this, you know, like trans people being beaten in fucking Portland. That's crazy, right? Well, so it turns out that so the, someone called 911 when they like found this woman on a, like on a sidewalk in Portland, nine one one gets there. The EMTs get there. A cop gets there, and they interview this woman. And the according to the police reports, she was wasted, and it appeared as though she hit her head. Um, there were like scrapes on her face, her like hands and face. Um, but she said she was assaulted, and there was like no evidence of this. She also had a had a gun on her, and the gun was like dropped, like fell out of her bag and like dropped it in, in a neighbor's yard. Or something. So there's just this like gun. Whoa! Right. Not great. Not great. Um. Anyway, so so there was like so the police reported this. They didn't find anything suspicious about this. Um. Andy went and and like you know tried to get get video recordings of the incident. He tried to interview this woman. She wouldn't do it. Um. There just really did not seem to be like good evidence that this person had been the victim of a hate crime. It seems a lot more likely that what happened is that this person was like wasted and fell and like banged her head up a little bit and happened to drop a gun into somebody's yard. Um, and so, but there were tons of, ton, like during this period in 2017, there were tons and tons of stories like this and Andy didn't, didn't buy them. And I, I kind of didn't buy a lot of them either because first of all, like it's Portland. Portland is not a place where you see many anti-gay or trans hate crimes because Portland is a place that is incredibly progressive. This is not like fucking deep south Texas or Georgia or whatever. It's possible. The rumor, the rumors were sort of that like proud boys were like coming in from Vancouver and beating people, but there was just never any, like there were not, there was never any like real actual good evidence of this. I, I will say that like the proud boys are obviously not a pleasant organization, but they've come to inhabit this like, outsized role in some progressives imagination where they're sort of like like basically the gestapo or something that like my understanding is often what they do is they try to get in fights with antifa and they like march around with their dumb little whatevers 
I, I don't get the sense they're like necessarily driving around looking for marginalized people to assault out of nowhere. Right, right. And then and so there there's other fishy shit. Like somebody would say that, you know, that they were assaulted by some proud boys and that they filed a police report. And then Andy would go to the police and the police would say, no, there's been no police report. And of course, people's reaction to that is just like, oh, the fucking police are in league with the proud boys. Um, anyway, this kind of shit was happening in Seattle, too, at that time. But it was just like nobody could question it. It was just like very very politically like damning for you to say like wait a second why are all of these hate crimes happening and the police don't have any evidence of them and nobody's filing reports and nobody will talk to the media but people are making lots of money off of their gofundme it's like hmm something is going on here what is it and and anyway andy was like the one person who was willing to publicly question this um so like i disagree with like many of his tactics I also think that he does have giant fucking balls, which I appreciate because someone needs to be the person to stand up and say like, wait, if you're going to allege that there's a rash of hate crimes happening in these incredibly liberal cities, we at least need to have some evidence, right? I, I feel like if if progressive media was functioning in a more normal or journalistic way, we wouldn't necessarily need an Andy No, but like- Right. For instance, like Antifa has assaulted a number of journalists. They assaulted a friend of mine. You would still see these really bizarre defenses of Antifa from like, you know, prominent progressive journalists and pundits. So you need someone who's just willing to sort of, you know, sometimes stuff on the left deserves to be investigated and called out too. So I think it's unfortunate that there's this like niche for no, because I do think he has a lot of shortcomings as a journalist. And I don't like the way. He tries to sort of humiliate people online, but um, I do think some of the stuff he's done has been, you know, valuable. Yeah, I, I that's essentially my take. Um, he is not sort of the ideal ideal person to be, to, you know, to be like calling out hate crime hoaxes. But nobody else is gonna fucking do it, including myself. I mean, I was suspicious as hell about this, but I work for the stranger, and there was no fucking way I was gonna be able to publish something about how like I thought that maybe that these hate crimes weren't actually happening. Well, do you remember the the Jesse Smollett thing? Like, yeah, half, yeah. half of progressive journalists in the back channels were like, "This makes no sense." And this is not something we usually say about hate crime. I'm still a lot of hate crime. You know, hate crimes do happen. There's thankfully. I, I actually, yeah. yeah, I did write something about Jesse Smollett on the day that that he made the allegation, and it and my editor wouldn't publish it. Really? Um, so there. What's her name? Yeah. What's her name? Post it. It was. I won't say his name, but I will say it was the same person who uh, tweeted gleefully after somebody spray painted "fuck Herzog" on the door of the stranger. It, um, if you're an editor and you turned down a chance for your writer to be one of the few people who was like ballsy and right, shouldn't that make you? reconsider your own abilities and like your sense of lacking humility surprise surprise that's not what happened jesse anyway so uh andy of course um later he was uh he was beaten by antifa um he's been accused of 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 giving kill list to Autumn i am 100 percent sure that's not true i am Isn't suspecting it autumn waffen autumn autumn um, I am sure that Andy probably had never heard of Autumn Waffen before this. Uh, this I, I looked briefly into that once, and it was it was stitched together from it was like, oh, here's a video of him milling near these right wingers. It it's just I think it's like a totally fabricated rumor. I can't say I've looked closely into it, but the idea of of Andy No sending a kill list to a fascist group is 
sort of deranged, I think. Right. But this was this has been republished by the Mercury. Uh, uh, Rolling Stone did a did a piece about how he was like in league with the Proud Boys because he was like milling around with them at some event uh, before uh, before they like beat the shit out of some guy. Um, I, I will. And, and, I mean, I will say he's obviously not like anti-proud boys. no he, he it's very like clear where his sympathies lie he's yeah. he's much more sympathetic to proud boys than he is to antifa much more sympathetic that is absolutely clear but it's also like with andy the thing is it's like it's clear with you know some of the reporters at the oregonian yeah it's not clear and so there's this pretense that these reporters are not also activists when they are activists they're just pretending to be something else Anyway, so this brings us to now. This is a long way of getting to what happened this week, which is Andy has a book coming out. It's called Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. And Powell's Books, the uh, the famous Portland bookstore, um, has been, <laughs> there have been protests at Powell's and at the Powell's like in like the suburbs for days now um, because that they're going to because they're going to sell the book online They're They've said that they're not going to sell the book in the store. They won't be promoting the book or or like even have it on their shelves, but they are going to sell it online. And so there have been protests for days outside of this independent bookstore, um, which has had the effect of shooting Andy's book up to the number one slot on Amazon before it even comes out. Who could have seen that coming except literally everybody? It's shocking, isn't it? Just this like, these people, man, have they never heard of the Streisand effect? Their sense of just like narcissism of just like we're going to save the world by deplatforming the bad man's book like you how it's like they've never heard of Milo Yiannopoulos who who got a huge book deal subsequently canceled because of his own shit uh, out of the fact that he was able to trigger the liberals and like incite a riot at Berkeley. This It never works. It never actually reduces their reach and platform. It has the opposite effect. It has the 100% opposite effect. This is the best thing that could have happened to Andy. The best thing that could have happened to him. They're just... I mean, I don't want to say that these people are stupid, but I'm beginning to think that they might be a little bit stupid. They're not smart. So if you go to Pals now, they have a little statement about um, about about the book and about how they're not going to sell it uh, in the store, but they will sell it online. And they do have a little defensive free speech, which I was glad to hear. Um, at one point, it says. Since the first published text, there have been calls to disown different imp- different printed work, and at Pals we have a long history of experiencing these calls and the threats they bring with them firsthand. Until recently, the threats were from those who objected that we carried books written by authors we respected and subjects we reported. The threats were real, but we could feel virtuous. We were bringing the written words to the light of day. We could feel proud of our choices, even when those choices created conflict. The current flight fight does not feel virtuous. It feels ugly and sickening to give any air to writing that could cause such deep pain to members of our community, but we have always sold books that many would reject we have fought for decades at pals for the right for a book to stand on its own doing so is one of our core values as a booksellers so they do the thing that of course they have to do and probably truly believe which is say that like andy is shitty and the book is shitty um but they also are still like standing up for free speech and for intellectual diversity so it's it's just disingenuous though because they don't actually hold the principle that if a book causes harm to members of a community that's reason not i mean 
they, I'm sure they carry the pro rioting book. I'm sure they carry, you know, satanic uh, versus pro reproductive rights. Yeah, there's, it's just bullshit. It's made up. So, um, anyway, uh, this has been a great week for Andy. He, uh, he's got a fucking bestseller. So, congratulations to Andy and congratulations to, uh, to his uh, public relations specialist at Antifa. Yeah, I mean, there's a, <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, what can you say really? It's just so obvious this was what was going to happen. Um, there, there's times when you can just ignore stuff and when you will do a better job of tamping down interest in it by ignoring it. And I actually think that you could apply that logic to like if, if 50 Proud Boys want to mill in a park and they have a permit, I think they'll have less influence if you just let them mill in a park with a permit than if you try to confront them and get in their face and spark an altercation. I just pe- think people are really going about this the wrong way. And I think often... People are mo- it's a this iron law thing Freddie DeBoer talks about. People are motivated by um seeking status within their group and being as radical as possible rather than like actually thinking things through strategically. Right. It, it, even if the thing that you're doing is going to cause a worse outcome, cause the out the opposite of the outcome that you want, for some people it's still worth it because it's not actually about the outcome. It's about being the person uh out there protesting. Yeah. Um well <laughs> number one book on all of amazon that that is insane i know That's because huge. i've started yeah even though my book's a few months away like um climbing the rankings it's just crazy how how many books sell basically no copies so andy now will have a platform forever because one best-selling book and you can basically do what you want so yeah people gave him exactly what they didn't want him to have right right i i wish that I wish that people were buying it from Powell's instead of Amazon because Powell's is at least selling it. I think they should support them, but you know. Powell's should be burned to the ground yeah. for selling it online. You're going to get this podcast canceled for that, Jesse. I know, seriously. Yeah, that was, this was a depressing story. Every, I mean, everything about the Andy No phenomenon is depressing. The fact that like when he was assaulted – and given brain damage by Antifa, there were people sort of like what abouting that act of violence against a journalist, trying to say he's not a journalist, which he is. Um, everything about this whole phenomenon sucks, and I, I disagree with a lot of what he does. But now he's a he's a, a raging success. You know, you gotta wonder like, would you rather be a raging success, but also have like, if you walk around downtown Portland, there's graffiti or like not just graffiti, they have like projections on some buildings that say "Kill Andy No." Um, I don't know that I would want to have a like if I would if given the choice would I rather have a bestseller or have people calling for my martyr on the streets of the city where I live that's a real tough toss up. Um, so so Douglas Murray wrote this piece in Unheard. You, you said I didn't read I read it quickly before we recorded, but he Andy has apparently fled the country now. That's what that's what Murray wrote. I haven't uh, verified with that with Andy, but they're friends, so I assume that that's true. I don't know where he would go. I mean, not London. Too much Sharia law there. Um, <laughs> I doubt the Canadians would let him in. When you when you fly to LaGuardia, they just immediately confiscate all your pork <laughs> and your alcohol. That'd be a nightmare. Can you imagine London without alcohol? Just like foggy, cold. Ugh. Um, yeah. All right. Is that enough, Andy? No, we didn't do enough puns with his last name this week. That's a shame. I will say, I so I, I defended Andy when he was um, when he was hit in the head by at an Antifa rally, and I've defended him against various claims i've also criticized him for some things nothing has come back to haunt me like defending andy no 
um, even more so than like trans stuff, the like thing that that people like screenshot and and send back to me all the time is like come back to haunt you just in terms of online bullshit. Yeah, online bullshit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's saying that this that this guy should not have been hit in the head by a bunch of fucking protesters. Incredibly controversial. Right. Uh, okay, on to another controversial right wing figure. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Ben Shapiro. Um, his official title is editor emeritus emeritus i always have trouble with that word don't i emeritus maybe i have brain damage um you might at the daily wire which i believe he founded but but his main thing now is like the very successful ben shapiro show uh sort of podcast radio style show um he i got to know him a little bit when in i think 2016 i wrote a story about him for new york magazine about how he was then at breitbart as sort of a he started there as like a very young Wunderkind type. And um he basically had a split with Breitbart because Breitbart got crazier and crazier. This is this is his telling. And Ben started getting hit by a huge amount of anti-Semitic harassment. A lot of it from people who seem to be in the same general orbit uh as Breitbart or as like Milo Yiannopoulos, who was at Breitbart at the time. Um Ben is you know, he's one of the most popular conservative commentators, or at least one of the most popular younger ones right now. He's he's reviled. And recently, Political Playbook, which is sort of this um, newsletter for DC insider types, decided to have a series of guest hosts, including Chris Hayes, you know, uh, big name progressive for MSNBC. And they had Ben Shapiro do it the other day. Katie, Politico staffers did not like this decision. I'm shocked, Jesse. Shocked. So you basically had, um, I guess, a Zoom call with about 200 Politico staffers arguing that their bosses should not have done this, should not have platformed Ben Shapiro in this manner. Um, the bosses held firm. They didn't apologize. They, they weren't going to like retract the playbook or anything. The document itself is like fine. I mean, at one point he argues that like one reason conservatives aren't um, – Agreeing to impeach Trump is because they understand that the left is just trying to destroy Trump for, you know, however they can, which like sort of seems irrelevant to the substantive case about whether or not you should impeach him. But like, it's, did you did you watch any of the uh, impeachment hearings this week? No, because I don't hate myself. That's what they said. I mean, he was basically repeating. It, it was interesting to watch because it was just like you when you actually sit down and like listen to what everybody's saying you can see that it's just theater where the Repub the Democrats were exclusively talking about Trump's his like the things that, you know, his his inability to lead and his his unfitness for this. And the Republicans were only talking like they mostly weren't even talking about what happened at the Capitol. They were only talking about how the Democrats were out to destroy Trump from the very beginning. And both sides are actually true. But they're just it's just theater. It's just all theater. None of it fucking matters. It's just theater. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, th there are a few interesting things to unpack here one is that uh one anonymous staffer told eric wemple who's the post really good media columnist reporter whatever um basically said like how am i supposed to tell readers not to listen to ben smith when we're publishing a column by him wait ben smith and that ben smith <laughs> everyone listen to ben smith ben shapiro when we're running this piece by him and that that jumped out at me because like i I do think it's journalists' jobs to like call out falsehood when they see it, but I, I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm quaint at this point. I'm sort of uncomfortable with the idea of like a journalist, and you can safely assume this was a young journalist, I would think, being like, 
it's part of my job to tell people that Ben Shapiro is just full stop bad and that they shouldn't listen to him. Why is that part of someone's job as a journalist? It, rather I mean, than contending I, with his arguments. I mean, that's yeah, the thing. Like, if there were any, if Ben had published misinformation or lies or had even gotten his analysis wrong, I, I mean, I would like to know if there was any sort of um, actual discussion of the content of the piece rather than just Ben Shapiro bad. Right. And, and I mean, so the piece itself, the most objectionable thing was was what I mentioned about impeachment, which is just a, con- you know, common conservative argument about this impeachment effort that isn't really factually wrong it's a matter of opinion but you know let me let me read to you the um paragraph from the new york times that tried to sum up why ben shapiro is viewed as controversial he has said transgender people suffer from a quote mental disorder end quote in 2016 mr shapiro wrote on twitter that trayvon martin a black teenager who's killing in 2012 by a neighborhood watch volunteer in florida made national news quote would have turned 21 today if he hadn't taken a man's head and beaten it on the pavement before being shot end quote so in in both instances shapiro is making a claim that is like what conservatives believe the the transgender there's a link to uh an interview he gave to a student newspaper where he said that gender dysphoria in the dsm-5 and gender identity disorder in the dsm-4 are mental illnesses this is true in fact it it actually needs to be a mental disorder for it to be covered by insurance yeah 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 and and look this is obviously controversial and also ben didn't say the context of the interview was sort of someone saying you said transgenderism is a mental disorder he said yeah it's in the dsm there's a there's a subtle distinction between being transgender and having gender dysphoria but the essence of what he's saying is absolutely true. And he he accurately defined this true thing. This is something liberal outlets often get wrong. There's this rumor that the DSM-4 described, quote, being transgender as a mental disorder. And the DSM-5 removed that. This is a complete misunderstanding stemming from the fact that they removed disorder from the name of the disorder. It's still considered disorder, which, again, maybe it shouldn't be. But the fact is Ben Shapiro was right about this. And you never see progressives calling out the many progressive outlets that get that wrong. On the Trayvon Martin thing, um, the Times put in a parenthetical that what actually happened is in dispute. In a sense, that's true. What everyone knows happened is that George Zimmerman started sort of following and harassing Trayvon Martin. We don't know exactly whether Zimmerman was actually injured. There's like real dispute about that. I'd forgotten how contentious that part of the case was. I view the whole thing as being George Zimmerman's fault completely because he he sparked this completely unnecessary altercation. But Shapiro isn't wrong. Like it, it's arguable that he's right that that Martin hurt Zimmerman. Like there's there's some evidence for that. There's some. It's just these are not the sorts of opinions where you would say, "Wow, that person is so beyond the pale of mainstream discussion." And that's clearly how the Times was trying to present those opinions. Right. He has said things like he's a Zionist. He's uh, he's a devout Jew. He has said really offensive things about Palestinians. That Mostly when he was younger. Yeah. And, and he has apologized for some of them. Yeah. I mean, Ben Shapiro, like he he's he does not strike me as somebody who really gives a shit about he's like Andy, like he like pissing off the libs, triggering the, ri- the libs is good for him. Right. And so this is another one of those cases where this uproar over ben shapiro writing like a like moderate column in politico become people pitch a fit about it and then more i would never have read the column 
had no. these staffers not. It's not even a column. It's a new, it's like this a newsletter. niche product right. Right. that they obviously they make a lot of money on. And also, it's funny in the in his newsletter, there's an advertisement from the American Petroleum <laughs> yeah. Association, yeah. which I find much more problematic yeah. than like Ben Shapiro, frankly. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, so he eats it up. This is great for him. This becomes the media story of the day. These Politico staffers look like snowflakes because they're acting like snowflakes. And and Wimple talked to a couple people, staffers, who objected to this. To, you know, this like this fit over Ben Shapiro. But of course, they wouldn't go on the record because they're scared. Yeah, it, it, it's the same thing in all these newsrooms where like if you're if you're on the skeptical of deplatforming side, you can't really speak up. I mean, we know because we get notes from these people. Uh, it's just I don't know. I Something about that. I, people challenged me on Twitter when I said that thing about being uncomfortable with the idea that like it's our job to make sure people don't listen to Ben Shapiro. I just really think it's got to come down to debunking ideas, uh, not people. Because again, like with that whole gender dysphoria and mental illness thing, I've seen way more progressive outlets get that wrong. Like Shapiro happens to be right about the specifics there. And again, maybe that shouldn't be the case, but like uh, there, there, there is a huge amount of progressive misinformation. This idea that we can just write off a conservative figure as wrong for spreading misinformation, like we have a problem on that front too. Let's just leave it at that. I'm not saying they're exactly equivalent, but Ben Shapiro also isn't, you know, Alex Jones. Well, that, I mean, that's something that someone brought up apparently in the Zoom meeting. Uh, this is from the Eric Wimple column. Um, a staffer said, how deep in the barrel are we going to go? Would Politico run an argument from former Klansman David Duke? What about Alex Jones, the InfoWars conspiracy theorist? And then Matt Kaminsky, the editor of Politico, just sort of um, dismissed this, uh, dismissed this as, as, as like, a facile comparison, right. which it is. Um, he says, I don't see any reason to apologize for having published Ben Shapiro. There was nothing factually wrong with it, so we're not going to correct the piece. The bar to go back on something for me is incredibly high. And and Wimple in his column points out that, like, you know, what's the difference between Ben Shapiro and David Duke? Well, David Duke was the head of the KKK. But it's, just, it's just this flattening, this attempt to anyone right of center, even some people left of center, is like a literal Nazi who can't be engaged with. Okay, who can be engaged with? Right. And the reason that I think this is bad is because I think, like, I was in favor of the New York Times publishing the Tom Cotton column. I'm in favor of, of Politico publishing Ben Shapiro. These are mainstream thinkers who do have, a, both of them do have huge voices and huge influence on, on American politics and on american culture and if you're a liberal do you want to just like stick your fingers in your ears and ignore them and hope that they go away you might want to do that but that doesn't actually work and so i think it's important for left-leaning and mainstream outlets to force this onto their readers to make us contend with these ideas instead of just saying like uh na 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 deplatform ben shapiro you can deplatform ben shapiro on politico he's still gonna have the fucking number one one of the the top podcasts yeah. in the country the, you ignoring it doesn't make him go away right the horse is out although i did just argue that ignoring uh that that a better uh, a better response to uh to andy no would be ignoring him so maybe i'm contradicting myself actually there. i know there there is some um I mean, me too. There's some contradiction there, I guess. Okay, well, think about it this way: um, you can't you can't ignore Ben. Ch you well, it's not they're trying to ignore him; it's they're trying to deplatform him. No one's saying ignore him, right? I, right. I mean, it, the other thing is like some of Ben Shapiro's arguments are dumb. Like what I've read of him say about healthcare. His his wife, I believe, is a doctor, and he said things like, you know, if we had universal healthcare, she'd be forced to do work, which is just like like almost she'd like be enslaved, which is. Just a crazy conservative talking point that misunderstands how how public health systems work. So 
you know, are you, are you that scared of Ben Shapiro's arguments? You think readers can't be exposed to them? Also, that idea that like readers aren't going to understand that there's a difference between, you know, a conservative being given a column or a newsletter and someone else with the same publication criticizing them, which happens all the time. It's just, it seems, I don't know, willfully naive. Yeah. I mean, I think in both of these, both Andy and Ben are these cases where, you know, liberal tears, leftist tears actually make them stronger. They really do. Um, you know, yeah. and so if your if your goal is ultimately to weaken their positions in society, this is the exact wrong way to go about it. I I mean this happened on a much unfortunately a much financially smaller scale with both of us, where when we wrote stuff that that angered some online progressives, the response was not to like rebut it thoughtfully or say why we're wrong, but to really just like freak out and throw a shit fit. And I would argue that there's a case to be made that had the exact opposite impact, oh, yeah. even if it made our lives unpleasant at times. Yeah, but but like long term, it was probably better for both of us. Yeah. So thank you for that. Thank you, everyone, for being – thanks for being jerks. That should be our uh, – we should do a t-shirt. Thanks for being jerks. Next uh, next round of merch. Speaking of which, we have a merch store. Barbot.org. They are <laughs> they're selling – so quickly it's insane oh, yeah. how many i'm laughing just because i thought of something else that was funny. yeah it has nothing to do with you're definitely not exaggerating the popularity of the merch store it's booming. was it one million t-shirts or three I it think. was one billion actually uh barpod.org <laughs> check it out uh there is a monthly cost just to maintain the store yeah we would like to break even so please buy something we need to sell six shirts to break even every month <laughs> We're not there yet. Very, the profit margins are pretty, uh, pretty tight. Yeah, we probably should just take the fucking thing down. So get, so you know what, get it while you can. Yeah, these could be collectors' items very soon. Yeah. Does that okay? Does that mean we're done with the the substantive part of the show? I, th- I think so. Yes. All right. You can always reach us at blotchandreportedpodcast at gmail dot com, uh, subreddit reddit dot com slash r slash blotchandreported. We are about to record a paid subscribers only episode about Masha Gessen's New Yorker article about trans kids which I thought uh, was was legit interesting. And I'm used to these articles being horrible. I did not think this one was horrible, though I thought it got some stuff wrong. We're going to discuss that. Uh, if you sign up at patreon.com slash blotchreported, you get at least three extra episodes a month for just $5. That's like, that's an incredible deal. That's an even better deal than Andy No got from the Antifa people who rocketed him to number one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, any other housekeeping? Oh, please do pre-order my book if you can. The Quick Fix on Amazon at IndieBound. Anything else? Rate and review us on iTunes. Did you already say that? Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You always say iTunes. Whatever. Talk about inaccuracies in mainstream media. Uh, This has been Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single, and remember, do not let Katie infiltrate your Tetris website and turn it into a turf hangout. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, if you're going to listen to Ben Shapiro, make sure to put cotton balls in your ears first.